Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you've been listening to the show and finding value in the show but have not left a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do so. Now, if you don't use Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, you have an out. Uh, I will accept that excuse. However, if you do have an iPhone, iPad, Mac, and have access to Apple Podcasts and iTunes, please head over there and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Also, I am so close, so close to having a hundred reviews with an average of five stars. So help me out and help me hit that hundred mark and let me know what you've been enjoying about the show and what you would like to see in the future. On this week's episode, I talk with Kate Martin, who served in Peru from 2006 to 2008 as a community-based environmental management volunteer. We talk about the work that she did in her community, but also a lot about the sort of mental struggles and hurdles that volunteers sometimes face when comparing themselves to others and second-guessing their impact in their community. And we talk about serving in the Peace Corps as an introvert. I think Everybody will find a lot of value in this episode. So without further ado, here is this week's episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. Um, I am Kate Martin, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Kate, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Tyler? Doing well. Uh, excited to talk with you about your service. In Peru, um, I have done uh, one previous interview, actually, with a volunteer uh, who served in Peru. I don't know if you know that. Uh, so I, I, I know a little bit about the country. Uh, my girlfriend has actually studied abroad there, but I myself have never been. So I'm interested to hear your experience, because uh, as we know, that each volunteer's experience uh, is unique to them. So I'm excited to hear uh, your take on Peru and serving as a community-based environmental management volunteer. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. Well, can you start off and just let everybody know a little bit about you and why you decided to join the Peace Corps? Sure. Um, I decided to join in 2006 after seeing the movie The Constant Gardener. I remember being avoiding seeing that movie for a long time because it seemed very heavy, and then I watched it. And as soon as I walked out, I knew that I needed to, I needed to go do something bigger. So I applied to the Peace Corps and got in. Um, I had known about the Peace Corps and always thought about it as an option for my, you know, during my entire, entire childhood, because my dad was a Peace Corps volunteer in Colombia and also in Iran 
and had danced around the idea since graduating from college, but didn't ever take the leap until 2006. I graduated from college in 2000. And so I was a a volunteer until 2008. And then I came back to the States and did a couple different things before going back into education. I got a master's in teaching and was a science teacher for newcomers to the country, which was awesome. And now I teach sustainability and gardening education in different schools in Austin, Texas, which is where I grew up. Awesome. And when you were applying for the Peace Corps, did you want to end up in a Spanish-speaking country, or were you kind of open for for anywhere? I think I was really nervous about going somewhere that was not Spanish-speaking because I had built some Spanish-language skill up. Um, I felt, I think, as Peace Corps taught me that slightly more control oriented than I thought I was. Um, it is, it is really nice to have some modicum of skill when you're going into this really new experience. Um, I actually wanted to go to Central America. Um, I'm, I don't remember why now it felt like it would be sort of closer to the States. It was an, a region that seemed interesting to me. I studied abroad in Chile and felt like well, you know, I've been to South America, so I'd like to go to Central America. And then when I got the call saying that I would go to Peru, I was kind of taken aback. And despite feeling pretty worldly, I was like, oh, I don't, I really don't know anything about that and can't imagine what that would be like and ask them, you know, if there were a possibility of postings in Central America. And they said, no, that this was the offer, not in an mean way, but, um, said, and we want to make sure that you are really ready to go and committed. So we'd like you to take a week to think about it. And as soon as I heard that it might be taken off the table, I was like, Oh no, that's fine. That's fine. They said, no, we really want to make sure that you're sure. So call us back in a week and let us know what you think. So then I knew that was a, a message that this was, this was for real, that, you know, was ready to take it seriously, which I was, but that gave it a different, I don't know, kind of a different cast. Okay. And since you had uh, spent some time in, in South America, you had your eyes set on Central America, when you received uh, your packet saying that you were going to Peru, did you know much about Peru? I had visited Cusco when I was studying abroad. And honestly, I had this image of myself um, living. I I love mountains. And I had an image of myself living in the mountains and adopting my own llama, which I also kind of have a love (laughs) affair with llamas. Of course, I get to the Peace Corps and my posting in country is in the northern region of Peru where it is 115 degrees like in the winter and there are no mountains and it's just the beach like I I honestly didn't realize that Peru had so much coastline and like the whole dry forest region which is where I was serving didn't know that that existed and so that was just like a funny you know funny how fate works out how your I don't know just your expectations 
can go straight out the window when you when you commit to Peace Corps. <laughs> uh, definitely. And what were you doing in this dry forest community? Um, in that region, they had just converted. It's a an agricultural region right along a river. Um, it's a good location for growing bananas and other kind of tropical fruits. They had cacao and banana, and they had just converted a couple years ago. They had a small um, group of agriculture, like uh, an agriculture cooperative that was selling cacao and also bananas, and they had just converted to becoming organic. So I think the idea, it was a relatively new region. I was the first volunteer in my community. Um, there were only six other volunteers in that region. It was very small. Um, and I think that the idea behind opening that region was really to do more like small, small business, um, and enterprise around environment, but kind of like sustainable, sustainable agriculture, um, and I don't know, other stuff like that. So, um, I, what I ended up doing was working with the farmers and their families to do kind of a healthy homes initiative, which I modeled after, um, a program that was in a dry forest area further South from me. And we did hand washing and solar uh, disinfection of water and built some mini landfills, um, talked about healthy eating and, yeah, that's uh, that was kind of the the culmination of what I did. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, when you were starting to talk about like working with farmers, uh, you t- you tend to think of oh, you're working with farmers, so you're working on their their agricultural practices, um, treating their farm like a business. Uh, but mm-hmm. then it sounds like you really dove into a lot of health aspects and and focusing on the home and how you could better that. Yeah, and I had come from a background of environmental education, and that is what was kind of the opening in Peru that that got me to Peru. Um, so I didn't, I did not have technical skill to offer the farmers, and they also pretty much had it under control. They had already created this cooperative and had all their farming practices, and they had, I guess, what would be the equivalent of extension agents that were coming out and helping farmers with things like composting and using organic fertilizers and monitoring um, for organic production. So really that was, I mean, that was far beyond what I could help with. Um, And where I, where I kind of felt like I could, you know, I came to the community and the model that we were trained in is, I'm sure like you too, is you need to do what the community wants you to do. And so when I started that, I got a laundry list of very diverse needs from my community that were ranging from needing a paved road to teaching English classes, to looking for scholarships for students. Um, And it was overwhelming to get that list for sure. Now that I'm saying it again, I'm remembering that. Uh, So I kind of looked at where I could, you know, what was within my skill set and 
the things that, that I could do without without taking over and creating or implementing a project that felt like it was a project I dreamed up as opposed to something that was a community need. So some of the very obvious community needs were trash that was blowing in trash that was in the streets. There was not a waste management system. So the first year we planned a couple of community cleanups, um, did some education with the elementary school and the high school there. And then that kind of, I started to, as my progress progressed and it felt like I wasn't really getting any traction with, with a a project that the community was getting passionate and getting energy behind, I I then kind of did create that um, idea of a healthy homes and presented it to the cooperative to see if they would help help me with this and whether they felt like it was a good idea. And so that's what I worked on the second year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely need to make uh, your service your own sort of find that intersection of where where's the need in my community like don't who cares who cares what label peace corps put on you <laughs> like uh, yeah, it's like right. oh, okay you're a health volunteer you're english it's whatever um, unless you yeah, like have to right. report to a place uh figure out what the, what's the need and then as you said what can you actually bring uh, what are you actually capable of doing? And then sort of in that Venn diagram, yeah. you work, you work in the middle there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is hard. And I, I do just remember, I didn't really, I, I now when I talk to people about my service or I remember writing an email when I had been there maybe for six months, there was a, um, like a church, like a church and life magazine that a relative publishes and they wanted, you know, it was kind of interesting, um, that I was a score and asked me to write something for that magazine. So I think I just started by listing everything I did in a day and to, and I wrote in that email, like, doesn't sound like much, does it? Um, but it feels really busy. And the feedback I got was, wow, that sounds like you're doing a lot of stuff. But what I remember that first year and especially the first six months was just like, wow, I cannot believe how much time there is. Like I really thought I was going to come in and hit the ground running and be like, have things working like a well-oiled machine here, which again goes to show you that your expectations are like designed to be broken. (laughs) Once you go into this new, that's, I guess that's a very, that's a little bit of a harsh way to put it. I guess you're, you can't count on your expectations being borne out in this completely new environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if saying that, uh, I don't, I don't want to suggest that volunteers like keep their expectations low, but almost like, just don't, just don't have any, just come in with an open slate be willing to experience but you right. know, what you said with feeling like you're not busy I remember like I would wake up in the morning write out a, a to-do list of all the things that I wanted to accomplish and then it would get to like 10 a.m 
and I'd be done and be like, well, what do, what do I do yeah. now? I guess I'll yeah. go walk around village and hang yeah. out and talk to people. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so good that you did that because I also remember, I think one of the things that, um, I've been thinking a lot about now as for some reason right now it's hitting me as a teacher is just being an introvert. Um, and the kind of energy drain it takes to, to go and talk to people. Um, even though I feel like I can access that more peppy chatty part of myself, it was really hard for me to force myself to go out and go to different houses and meet people, which is ultimately the thing that I really loved doing towards the end of my service and had very, I feel like very close and, and genuine relationships, which I didn't anticipate really, um, by the end, but that is something I wish that I had kind of given myself credit for in my to-do list that just going and meeting and talking with people and doing that relational work is all of the ground that is going to birth something if something is going to come um, out of your service project. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely difficult for people who feel that they're firmly in that introvert camp i tend to feel that I, I i i straddle both i have swings of being extremely extroverted and then retreat to recharge by my by my by myself and just get in my own right. head and that's how i like to sort of relax but yeah for someone who really identifies as being an introvert uh peace corps service can can be difficult because you most of the time don't have a lot of expectations of of showing up to a place to doing something so you can easily spend the day hanging out at your house reading just yeah right yeah and i and i think um gosh i don't know how i kind of got i was thinking like i i hope that if there is someone listening to this um, that this can be a little bit of a lifeline to anyone who is sort of introverted. Cause I think I like you have those swings between the two places. And I just remember how difficult it felt to get any time alone. Like I, um, in the first house I lived in, there was a window that had, Oh, I guess all the windows had, the kind of burglar bars on them, mm -hmm. um, and a door. But even when I would go in and take a nap, the little kids that lived there, cause my youngest brother was three would come and they'd stand up on the chair outside and reach their arms through the window and like chant my name because they wanted me to come outside. And I just, I love kids and I love playing with little kids. And that's one thing I loved about my service is that any kid would come up and hold your hand and, you know, get in your lap. And, um, I knew all the kids in the community, but at that time I was just like, ah, oh, I can't, I feel like I have no where that I can collect myself. Um, because this experience is constantly intruding and that did, that did get less, but I was, I just remember feeling some relief when I was talking to a second year volunteer that was in that same community. Um, and I was just confiding in him and saying, I feel like this is, 
I feel like I'm not making the difference that I wanted to make. And I still feel exhausted at the end of every day. And he said, this is really hard what we're doing, like just living one day in this experience is a really hard thing to do. And I, that made me feel, feel better and take a little step back and, um, and not feel like just because I am not like a super extroverted kind of cheerleadery type that I don't have something to offer in my Peace Corps service. Cause I think I went through that in my mind too, of feeling like, Oh, if I, because I'm an introvert, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And I, and I don't think that that is the case. No, I definitely think that both introverts and extroverts can be uh, amazing volunteers that just have to figure out how mm-hmm. to, how to, to leverage their, their personalities and their skill sets that they bring and, and find their own unique way to, to make the most of their, their time in their host country. Yeah, I agree. Well, now we have an amazing picture of sort of your relationship to your community. Uh, but because this is the, the Peace Corps Story podcast, uh, do you have a favorite memory of your time that you would like to share? Yes, I have a few. Um, I'll, the first one is the one that really let me know that I had made an authentic connection with my community and kind of like you were saying before that because showing up somewhere is it's, it can be hazy and often events in my community started two or three hours after the time (laughs) they were supposed to start. Um, It was, like, oh, are you coming? Maybe I'll come, maybe not, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I don't know. It was, it was, nothing was very fixed, but I had, um, I have a birthday in January and I moved to a new host family the second year that I was there so that I could be closer to the health post because I got medevac to have knee surgery. And so when I came back, I was close to the health post and I, I really loved my second host family. They just, they really felt like, like a family. And so one of the, one of the cousins, um, had a birthday in January. So we said, okay, well, we're going to have a a dual birthday party. And I was totally into that, like sharing my like 30 year old birthday party with an eight year old. It's like, this is going to be awesome. Like we're gonna have a blue cake, ridiculous banners. Donkeys are going to run through the birthday party. I'm totally (laughs) into it. And so we planned like cheesy music, everything. Um, and then the day before the park guards, cause we lived in the kind of the buffer zone of a national park that was there. And so the park guards that were there told us, you know, as many things happen, told us like the day before they're like, Oh, so the Finnish ambassador to Peru is going to be coming. And we're wondering if you'd be able to translate. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really fun. When's this going to happen? They said, Oh, it'll happen tomorrow. And I was like, Oh my God, you know? And so I was like, well, I have this birthday party and I want to really go to that. And they were like, well, you know, this is really something that we, like there was a little, I just, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I do remember there being kind of some, a little bit of pressure that was like, well, this is like, we really, we really need you to do this. And like, you know, we don't have anyone else to do it. And so myself and the other volunteers went and it was 
it was awesome. It was a, an amazing car ride. And we went out and there are these, um, I can't remember the name of the trees, but there are these huge um, flowering trees that are the first trees to flower when things kind of come back after the rainy season. So it was just these like huge yellow flowering trees. And we went deep into the jungle and saw this um, kind of research uh, shed that had been built there by the, I guess, a, a like a fund that came from Finland, which is awesome. I would never have gone to see that otherwise, but we were driving out and I was just like, okay, we got to like, let's pick up the pace. I really need to get back. And you know, there's not really a timeline, like there's not a sense of urgency. Um, and in my experience in my community, and I, I would imagine in many other communities. And so they were like, Oh, you know, tranquila, like, don't worry about it. You're going to get there or not. You know, and I was like, <laughs> no, like I have to get home. And so I got down, we were on the other side of the river. So instead of going all, all the way back North through the capital city and coming back down the other side, I got down and took a, a moto taxi across the river. And then like, got out of the moto taxi in my mind in the story I am like leaping from the moto taxi like into a moving taxi down the road because it felt it felt like I had to get home that that much and got into the taxi and got back home and my family were like oh my gosh we didn't think you were gonna make it and would have they would have been very disappointed having made this whole event for me and um I was like no I knew that this is gonna happen I was not gonna let you down let's have the party. And we had the party. And I just felt really, really good. And I guess as I'm telling it, part of the reason that it felt great was just knowing that my family was committed to doing this thing for me. Um, because there were a lot of events that were, that were, it was said, yes, we'll do this. And then nothing ever happened. And it's kind of hard, it was hard to figure out you know, why something didn't, you know, why something didn't happen, um, that they were committed to doing it. And also how much I wanted to be there. Like we really both wanted to have this event together. And, and so that was a good memory. Wow. I, I mean, the, the birthday party of Lone probably would have been an amazing memory, but then you throw in this being a, a translator to the Finnish ambassador, I uh, definitely understand yeah. understand the like time is relative, you know, yeah, you'll make yeah. you'll make it or not. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. In <laughs> right. being able to like it it just all worked out. Yes, it did. It definitely yes. And I guess that's the other thing, because there are there are lots of times when I learned to just be patient and have no expectations and just like, okay, the way I thought it was going to work out is not the way it's going to work out today. And I am just going to suck it up. But this was not one of those days. Like this was one of the days that I was insistent like this, I, I need this to happen. Um, so both being insistent and the fact that that worked, <laughs> um, was, a was pretty incredible. Yeah. You, you kind of get used to the, plans getting derailed <laughs> so when, so when they don't mm -hmm. it's like oh my gosh it actually worked yes exactly did you have that experience when you were in peace corps uh yes uh i i quickly just i i planned 
for there just to be chaos. That that was my my plan. It's like I I will make a plan uh, just for my own mindset, but I'm going into yeah. this knowing that it is going to fall apart uh, about five minutes in. All hell is yeah. going to break loose, and I'm mm-hmm. going to enjoy the ride and hopefully have a funny story afterwards. Yeah, right. That's so good because I think that I, again, I think that Peace Corps taught me that under underneath what I felt was a very, I lived in California before I went to Peace Corps. And so what I felt was a very like kind of hippie, easygoing exterior. There is a much more, someone who's much more tied to control than I thought. Um, And I wish that I had, I wish that I had had more of a, a vision during that first year of like, this is all, this is all just information and this is all going to make a good story. And this is all just teaching me, um, teaching me about a new culture. And I wish that I had had a little bit more of that perspective. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's a, uh, soon to be volunteer or current volunteer that's that's listening and maybe they can they can learn a little bit and try try to have that mindset yes and then and then write a funny story about it <laughs> yes maybe come on this podcast hint hint yes definitely well uh I, I know that uh, every day is not a birthday and translating for a Finnish ambassador in Peace Corps uh, most of them are you know kind of average just just living life, trying trying to, to do your best as a volunteer. But then we have those times that are uh, not great. Those, those horrible instances that, you know, sometimes they make great stories after the fact, but in the moment uh, you uh, find yourself at a, at a new low that you didn't know existed. Uh, do you have one of those favorite piece or least favorite Peace Corps memories uh, that, that comes to mind when I sort of, set up this prompt? I think the the least comfortable I felt when I was there was when I had just arrived in sight. And I remember, I remember after doing kind of our first foray into site and you do that three, I don't know if this is what you did too, but we did kind of like a, from our training uh, near the Capitol, we did uh, like a three day visit to our, our site and met our community contacts and then came back. And so our environment group was all reporting out. And I remember it was um, stories about just how, difficult it was. And, you know, people were talking about the latrines and sitting on the latrines at night and having cockroaches crawl up their legs or sitting on the latrines at night and having ants bite them or like host families that had not had said that they were going to build an extra room on the house and didn't finish the room. So they had nowhere to live and just that those kind of realities. And I was just like, wow, this is really making me feel down. And I wonder if I like engage some, um, some reverse psychology, if I can change my mindset about what also felt very stressful. 
So I, when it was my turn to report out, I remember choosing to just talk about the positive things and said, you know, we, I'm going to live in a place where there are so many mangoes on the ground that pigs eat them, which actually was a one really awesome thing about where I lived is there were the best mangoes I've ever had and people fed them to their pigs. And I was like, this is heaven, I guess that I've landed in, which obviously it wasn't, but so I talked about that and that there was fresh pineapple and amazing ceviche and that we had flamingos and we had this amazing dry forest ecosystem and um, just positive, positive, positive. That, or that's the way it sounded in my mind. And I remember getting good feedback from um, my program director and getting to site and then maybe a month or two months in. And I think recalling that positivity um, was very different from the reality I was experiencing every day, which was that I was feeling really depressed and um, would get up in the morning. The host family I was with was not, was not very nice. I think they were interested in the status of having a Peace Corps volunteer, but not the reality. Um, my host mom just seemed kind of annoyed that I was there all the time. Um, my host brother would, my littlest host, <laughs> so gross. I can't, I can't believe I'd forgotten this till just now. My little three-year-old host brother, instead of going to the bathroom, the toilet would just go to the bathroom out in the backyard. Mm. So often when I was walking out there to do laundry or go to the bathroom I would step in his poop and I was just like oh my god like what world am I living in right now um and just feeling so exhausted from speaking in a different language and all of this new experience every day and like taking a two-hour nap and then also wanting to go to bed at seven and I just remember there being I I there was a, a group of um students I guess not kids, like young adults that were in my community that had been a in a dance group before I arrived. And I was in a Latin American dance group in college. And so we kind of had started talking about that. And they revived the dance group because I was there. And I just remember one night, one day, I was just feeling super bad and um, got into bed really early. And uh, one of them came to my window and it's just like, Hey, like the instructor came from tomb base, which was the capital. And we're going to do our, you know, we're going to do our dance practice and you got to come. And it's like, I just, I can't do it. And he was like, come on, like you have to come on, you have to come. And I, I remember feeling so, um, like honored in this external way that they had. I mean, that's very rare that, uh, a group, forms and that, uh, like something happens with that group and, um, that they were also, I mean, how it was so lovely to be invited in by a group of people in my community and to have the experience to, um, take part in this cultural experience of, of dancing, which is something I really love. And I just remember it feeling like there was this amazing experience that was right in front of me. And I just didn't have the energy or the spirit to get myself to where I could enjoy that experience. I just, I couldn't do it. That was, and that was 
that felt really hard. And that lasted that that lasted for, for a while. It was uh, the beginning of it was just a it was a really difficult experience, but it it passed and you know the the second year was better and and then it it did get better. Mhm. And and I can I can definitely relate to a lot of stuff that you were saying even from just the living in a dry forest with tons of mangoes uh-huh. that the pigs were eating them uh, but mm-hmm. it it felt as times that you know I was everything was like gray. I I and yeah. I, I also I felt shameful uh too because like I would I would take a step back and just look around me and it's like I'm I'm living in a National Geographic special. Like yes. it is absolutely amazing. It's a beautiful place. There are hippos in the river near me and crocodiles yeah. right. and it is just so cool, but I feel miserable. And I would yes. like there's like some like something is wrong with me. Like why do I feel so bad but yet everything around me is just so new and and awesome and is it like it kind of just like you just dig yourself deeper because you feel bad and you shouldn't feel bad and you feel bad about feeling bad yes exactly yes exactly yeah well that is that is nice to hear that someone else went through it because I do remember I remember having the same thing of like who are you to be having such a hard time with this you're the one that's supposed to be helping this community you know you are not supposed to be having feelings about this experience except uh, humility and being delighted by being here and thinking about what you can do. But yeah, it is. If you think about, I guess the experience, I guess, as I, as I'm thinking about what, what advice I would give, um, from a more compassionate place to someone going through the same experiences, like on that list of the, of life stressors, moving to a new location is, one of the, you know, one major stressor and in Peace Corps, you're moving to a new location. You are, um, separated from your family and friends willingly, but still separated. Um, you're in, you're speaking in a new language, um, that you can't quite understand. And I guess the thing for me too, that I didn't anticipate was that there are, there are, there were no kind of I I guess I'll say cultural, but I mean that in the broadest sense of the word, that there weren't any cultural touchstones that you could use to kind of get back to remembering who you were. So I just remembering, remember having this sense of the world swimming around me and not really know, it was like, like dissolution of ego, maybe that sounds very lofty, but um, I just couldn't get back to that sense of, Oh, this is who Kate Martin is. And that is a, it was a a very disorienting experience. Like I, I, it made me understand why, um, in expatriate communities, you have maybe the food that you're used to. That's why having you asked uh, about what the best thing to get in a care package was. And that's why I answered peanut butter about four times that <laughs> peanut butter is one of those things that is just, it's a comfort food. And it, that took on a very different, um, I guess the power of having things like that, that connect you to who you were, um, before I, I ate McDonald's 
And now I didn't eat hamburgers because I'm vegetarian, but I ate McDonald's more when I was in Peace Corps than I ever have in the entire rest of my life because it made me feel like home. Mm-hmm. Now i i can pro- I can safely say that I ate more pizza and hamburgers consistently yeah. in Peace Corps than I have at any other time in my life. And it, I, d- I definitely also when you were talking about. Um, sort of losing yourself or losing that connection and, and sort mm-hmm. of second guessing. Uh, Cause I think a lot of the things that I leaned on to define me as a person pre Peace Corps were the things around me, my interactions, titles that I had that then got stripped away. And one of the big ones for me uh, was actually my, my intellect. I, I prided mm-hmm. myself on being someone who was intelligent but then was speaking a language that I had just learned and was not able to communicate intelligently. So that that was like my biggest thing, that Tyler is a smart person. But then I felt dumb all the time. Yeah, totally, totally. I remember that too. And I remember like I... um, like I, I feel like I, 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 I love like word of the day and big vocabulary words. And just, I think that that is one thing that I realized was a kind of a stress response for me is building verbal intricacies and that kind of art of conversation, um, that I couldn't do it in Spanish. And so I defaulted I think I defaulted to kind of making fun of myself, you know, um, and as a way to, to make connection, which is also a very, I mean, it's, it's good in the short term, but it's also like, it's hard when someone agrees with you, like, Oh, well, you know, I don't speak very well. They're like, yeah, you don't, you don't (laughs) speak very well. Just like, Oh, you weren't supposed to agree with that. Like that was just (laughs) supposed to be charming kind of humble statement that I made. But yeah, and I also remember, I remember not being able to use humor um, Mm -hmm. and that that was hard. And I don't really think of myself as a, as a funny person. Um, But I think being able to, being able to pick up those things and then like bring people into a joke is a part of conversation that I was not able to access there. Yeah, humor is like deeply, deeply cultural, and that's kind of the like the last like rung of proficiency of when you like really grasp yeah. a, a language and a culture. Like when you're able to to joke around with someone and tell jokes and exchange, and like that's when you know, like, okay, I've 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 made it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the what the humor of a rural agricultural community in Northern Peru was very different from like, there were times if I was talking to people that were um, maybe students in Lima or the, the Peruvians that were host country nationals that worked for Peace Corps in Spanish, I was able to make some jokes, but it depended on both of us having this same kind of background understanding of a certain experience. And that was not what was true for me in my community. All of that was learned. And I still don't think uh, by the end I was able to 
have a joke. There one there was one this is actually a, a one of the memories that I really loved that one of our um it was the one time I remember being like sharing in a really big joke with my family that we at, for New Year's they had they sold these paper mache heads and people would build a build a body of straw like stuff clothing with straw and then they would burn it and so that was you know the old the man of the old year and uh they would burn it and then we'd have the new year and so my host mom they had my my host brother and sister my host sisters and I guess their cousin had uh had constructed this man and my host mom came out of there was a house and there was a a little space and a little gate and so she was walking out and and she was looking out towards um kind of looking out straight ahead so that this man was to her, to her right. And she kind of did not really turning to it said, uh, Hey, are you ready for dinner? Thinking that it was my host father. And then she turned and looked at it and just cracked up. And all of us just was laughing for like 10 minutes thinking that she thought that was our host father who was, I was just, it was just, it was just so funny. Um, but again, that's not like, High level humor. It was satisfying, very satisfying, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And is there is there anything that you you miss about your your time in Peru or your life as a Peace Corps volunteer? One thing I think I didn't expect was that it's really it's really hard, I guess to. I don't, I don't feel like I have fully integrated that experience in Peru back into my daily life. And what I mean is that to really get back, I guess that's a, it's a very unique experience that I feel mm -hmm. like I'll never have that again. And it happened. And even when I went back to visit, it was such an odd experience of it felt like I was dropped into a dream that I had stopped having five years before because I went back to visit about five years after I left service and except that all of the characters were five years older which was a little bit disorienting so it's like all these faces I recognized on bigger bodies for the kids that I'd worked with um and realizing in my memory everything is fixed the way it was when I was there. And when I go back, it is a completely different situation. Um, so I think just knowing that that was a one-time experience, um, I, I really do miss sometimes the pace of life. And I am glad that I had somebody who was wise enough to tell me I think during one of the times that I was feeling like I wasn't getting enough done and it, everything was so slow and, you know, that I needed to kind of earn my keep um, more. She said, you know, there are going to be lots of times in your life, Kate, that you are so busy and you are going to be wishing that you had five hours of free time to yourself. So if I were you, I would see if you can just enjoy it. And that kind of helped put it in perspective because when you're in the middle of being in, for me, when I was in the middle of Peace Corps, I couldn't imagine it ever ending. You know, two years felt like a really long, a really long time. And um, so I was glad 
glad to get that advice and also glad because it, it I do miss that I do miss that pace of being able to sit and read um or sit and talk and um just things being slower um which I know can sound very romantic um and but I, but it is true. It was slower and, and I do miss that. Um, I do, I miss that, uh, I miss that we were, so it felt much closer to nature. Um, we had burrowing owls that lived, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of animal obsessed, like definitely, um, spend too much time looking at cute memes of wild animals. Um, so being in Peru and having burrowing owls living across from us, was awesome. So kind of like you were saying, being in the middle of a national geographic experience, I was like, Oh my God, like I didn't even, we don't even have these in Texas, uh, except in the very, I think South of Texas. Like this is something I've only ever seen on TV and here they are like 20 feet away from me. And, um, we had these tiny pygmy owls that lived in the trees that were just super cute. And, huge fat iguanas that would hang out at the tops of, of the trees. And like there, a baby iguana crawled into the house one day. Um, other like little, um, there were kind of little parakeets that were, that lived in the dry forest. And when I'd go on bike rides, I remember just that I still have a very striking image of the ground being dry grass and mostly brown and this, like it looked like sequins that were scattered on the side of the road, these blue and green parakeets that then lifted off into the sky. Um, so I think that, that I do miss and just that it was, is very quiet. Um, there was one night where the power went out because someone had stolen the power line, which happened with, I guess, <laughs> rem- kind of remarkable frequency. Cause I don't really know how you steal a power line. It sounds really dangerous. And I, I can't believe someone didn't end up dying, but someone had stolen the power line. And so we had no lights on in our community. There was no TV. And so everyone was outside on their porch and they had candles. And it was, even though it was, is one of those things that at the, at the time I was like, Oh, I just want to watch my telenovela and not have to be forced to search for, for vocabulary words for two hours. It was one of the things that I really treasured. Um, because it, I don't know, is do you, that's a, I feel like that's a very rare experience to just spend time in conversation with other people. Um, and I guess I could force myself to have that here, but it is, it is rare to have that happen in an entire community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I remember that the conversations just for the sake of just talking and connecting with someone that it's actually something that I, I struggled with initially that I felt so weird, Mm -hmm. uh, about that you would just go to someone's house, sit down in their courtyard and just just talk, just just yeah. just be with one another, not, right. not not worry about things happening afterwards or the stuff that you had to do. You were just there in the moment, talking. Yeah, right. And I and I real I'm remembering too that when I got back to the states, I remember feeling really angry that all of my friends here were so shallow that they only wanted to have 
um, short conversations or perfunctory conversations because we, we, you know, which was a little bit of judgment coming up there, like some, some difficulty reintroducing myself to, uh, to the States, but just calling other volunteers and having long conversations, you know, and just talking for hours or like, I remember sitting on top of the roof at the hostel we stayed at and drinking, um, really cheap beer and watching, there were owls that lived in our capital city too. And like watching the owls fly overhead and bats fly overhead and just talking and talking and talking and talking. And that was really, that also was very wonderful. And that is one thing that has carried back, um, those are still very dear friends in the way that like you have a friend from your childhood that you talk to once every two years. But if they called you and said, um, I need to stay on your couch tomorrow night, you're just like, come on in. And that also sounds very romantic, but it's also very true. Like those are deep, um, I don't know, like bonds that are kind of, forged in a forged in a fire mm-hmm. yeah, you you make connections that uh can't be remade anywhere else that mm-hmm. that, that, that commonality really brings you together in a, in a way that is yeah. hard for others to understand right yeah and diverse people i mean that i mm-hmm. didn't think that i would people that i don't know that i would be friends with um which i think has something to do with kind of like my maybe limited view of who I can be friends with. I don't know that. Um, but just people that I wouldn't have come into contact with otherwise that I feel are like, I don't know. It's like, it's like brothers and sisters kind of, you know, like they are, they are, I feel deeply connected to them. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that you learned for, uh, during your Peace Corps service that stayed with you? I mean, you've definitely touched on a, several different things, but is there something that you've brought back with you and incorporated into your life here or a, a different lens through which you see the world? I think one, like one, one sliver of this is evident in, was evident when I, um, to me, when I, it was a sci- when I became a science teacher and I got a job teaching science for English language learners. Um, and the first couple of years we had long-term language learners and newcomers to the country. And then we, with increasing violence in Honduras and El Salvador, um, we got more immigrants. And then again, with, um, instability in Syria and the Middle East started getting immigrants from those countries. Um, taught started teaching exclusively newcomers and I really felt like I was a good teacher to those students because I understood that kind of like we were talking about that their their frustration and their inability to produce like what the state of Texas says they should produce didn't have to do with their intelligence, it had to do with language ability and that language ability takes a long time to learn. And so that I think I felt really, I don't know, I just felt, I felt great being able to, being able to give from that place of knowing 
that I had been a language learner and how frustrating it is um, and how you you want to do it already. And I would see students who came and were highly academic in their country of origin um, and would cry because they would get 40s on their tests and just having that conversation of a 40 is, which also is just, I mean, a, a big bummer that that's the way that they were, that they were evaluated. But having that conversation with them of saying, hey, this is, this is what is going to happen in school. And what I also need you to know is that a 40 is like 100 for you. Or, and all you, all you need to focus on is bringing that score up. Like forget about, forget about the scale. Let's see if next time you get to a 45, you know, and really building a, we really built a community in the school that I was in that I think helped not just with academics, but also with, how are we how are we m- making this a place where students are feeling comfortable and how are we how are we being good role models of bringing students from other countries into the United States and i think that i would not have had that perspective of like what is my role not just as a teacher but kind of as a as a host um had i not had i not been in, in peace corps and i guess there's i don't know i have i have a, a feeling of you know, with the third third goal, and uh, I guess just the the sense of reciprocity and needing to give back some of what I was given. Um, I think the other thing, kind of along with that, is just it made me it made me have more of an ability to force myself to pause when I'm about to paint a group of people with broad strokes. So instead of saying South Americans are, Latin Americans are, you know, countries that developing nations are, remembering that inside of that group are very diverse experiences and things that are surprising. And I think that I had, I mean, that there, that there is an exception to the rule and, important to remember that. And I think that I had, uh, you know, based on ignorance before I went, but was assuming that, you know, Peru would be less advanced than the United States in lots of ways. And I just remember like, this is the one example that I keep in my mind. And that I tell the people sometimes like the sex education that my host sisters got in Peru in a country that's mostly Catholic um, and the kind of family planning that was available is way more advanced than what, than what is available in Texas now in the United States, you know? And so it's, it's not, it's not accurate. And I think it's not helpful um, to paint with broad strokes. And that has made me, it's made me more thoughtful when I think about other cultures and my interaction and just other people and my interactions with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I've become more judicial in my thought process of trying to weigh all sides and, and try to see where someone's coming from, uh, be it if they're coming from a different culture, background, 
religion, political <laughs> affiliation, uh, and mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. trying to come at it that you know more times than not they're not a bad person. So our our, our, dis- yeah. our disagreement isn't a fundamental of good and evil. Um, so let's, yeah. let's let's take a step back and try to to relate on on a more human level. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that's the other thing that as we're talking, I'm realizing too, that there's, uh, and that I, that I realized as, as a teacher, especially with newcomers, but as a teacher in general of students is that going into Peace Corps, I think I was primed with all of the ideas of, you know, this is what your project needs to be. And this is the way that you handle your community and just kind of all those like technical details and of like, what are you going to, what project will you do to help and and how will you be supporting the community? And I, all of that is important, but I think that um, when I got there, realizing that first is the connection and Peace Corps says that also, but I really, I think underestimated the kind, the amount of connection that needs. Like first first we're going to connect as people and then we talk about what project might happen. And I think that that helped me a lot when I was a teacher because it feels, I think kind of dehumanizing to start right off the bat with, here's what I'm going to do for you or here's what I need you to do for me instead of like, meeting on a meeting on a more equal level. So it, 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 I guess it made me aware of how, how important that is not just, um, not just in my job now in education, but when you're, when you're meeting anyone that you want to get something done with. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. Well, Kate, I've had an absolute pleasure talking with you today i think we could spend many more hours sort of exploring these sort of high level themes of a peace corps and reconciling our our place within our communities and the, the world at large and the lessons we learned it seems like we even though we served in in very different countries had a lot of those same realizations and experiences. So I think that this uh, this interview could go much longer. I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for coming on the show, for sharing a little bit uh, of your service and uh, some more things that are, I guess, that tie volunteers together and those struggles and self-doubt and self-talk uh, that we go through that I don't think uh, sometimes come out uh, that even when volunteers come together, you know, yeah, they, they complain a lot uh, and, and talk about the things that are going wrong. But I think it sometimes helps to, to, to maybe hear it from someone else who served uh, in a different community at a different time. So thank you very much. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It's been, it's been a pleasure to, to talk about it and uh, just kind of have some real talk about what it's like to do this very intense, incredible, unique, and difficult experience that is Peace Corps. Well, as I've said, it's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you. Thank you, Tyler. 
And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Core Story podcast. Thank you very much for spending time with me and listening to Kate's unique Peace Corps story. If you have a story to tell or know of someone else who has an amazing Peace Corps story, head on over to MyPeaceCoreStory.com and click on one of those share your story, share your service links. Get in touch, touch with me so I can talk to you about your Peace Corps service. Also, this episode was brought to you by LouCBD, L-O-U-C-B-D dot com. If you're interested in trying out CBD or have already using CBD but looking for a company that you can know and trust, how about you check out LouCBD? It's run by a Return Peace Corps volunteer, myself. And my brother. Uh, together, we have backgrounds in chemical engineering, chemistry, biology. Uh, so we really try to make sure that we're putting a product out there uh, that is well manufactured and is not full of hype uh, or junk ingredients. So if you want to check that out, head over to loucbd.com and use the offer code PeaceCore at checkout to save 15% on your first order. Thank you very much. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?